turn, if you will, to Leviticus tonight. Leviticus, I can tell you're thrilled when I say the word Leviticus. What does Leviticus mean? Well, it means of the Levites. It is the third book that Moses was given from God to pen, and it deals with the laws of the Levites. And it especially concentrates on the idea of the sacrificial system and what was needed and some of the things that God ordained and all of it is a type and shadow of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're not careful, you'll look at some of the Old Testament books and just because it says that it's law or the law of God, you may think that it's not applicable to us today. But Jesus came to fulfill the law and these things that's mentioned here in Leviticus are some of the things that he's talking about that he fulfilled and we'll see some of those here tonight in the richness of the word of God. This book is not an accident and it's not God's thoughts just thrown together randomly. It has a specific purpose in everything that God has given to us in his word and we can find oftentimes the fulfillment of it in the New Testament, as we look at it in the Old Testament, we may read it and it seems confusing because we don't do these things anymore. And when you really look at Leviticus, some people say, why did we need a book like this? Well, I think the answer's simple. Sinful man had no idea what it took to please an almighty God. And what sinful man needed is direction, divine direction from God. So God gives this law to the priests, the Levites, that they could put into practice so that we could see the hand of God as portrayed in the Levitical law, especially concerning the offerings. In fact, he gave five different offerings. That was the number of the offerings. Five is the number of grace. If you take the first five chapters of Leviticus, you'll find each one deals with a different offering. In chapter one, it deals with the burnt offering. In chapter two, it deals with the meal offering or the meat offering. In chapter three, it is the peace offering. In chapter four, it is the sin offering. And in chapter five, it is the trespass offering. So each one was applicable to the things that was needed for forgiveness of sin, to have peace with God, to get forgiveness for a trespass, to once again realize that we could have forgiveness available through God. So the nature of these offerings is quite remarkable. There's five different offerings, but we know four out of the five dealt with a blood sacrifice. So it was a sacrificial offering because it was typical of the fact that Jesus one day would offer his blood. Later on, we read in the New Testament that according to the law, almost all things were purged by the blood, almost all things. There was one offering that wasn't, that was the meal offering or the meat offering. And with the meal offering, that was the only one that didn't account for a blood sacrifice. And then he went on to say, for without the shedding of blood, there would be no remission for, for sin because with the sin offering, it took blood. And by the way, it's all a picture of you and I. 
You cannot be forgiven of your sin without the blood. It still takes the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't do anything of your own merit. You can't do anything by your own will. You can't do anything by your own power. It takes the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse us from our sin. There is a difference with the Old Testament blood offerings and the New Testament blood offering of Jesus' blood. In the Old Testament blood offerings, the blood was always a covering for sin. That meant that they had to go back. It was there for a period of time, but it was a perpetual offering that it would go on year after year, feast after feast. And with that offering, it was only given as a covering. But in the New Testament, when Jesus offered his blood, his blood was more than a covering. His blood didn't cover our sin. His blood washed our sins away. So we have the power of the blood in the New Testament that Jesus' offering, blood offering, was the eternal sacrifice that God required. So when we think about the nature of these offerings and the blood offering, let's, let's just break down a few things about the offering when they were to be offered here. Let's begin reading in verse three, if you will. Now, remember, he's writing to a priest what he's to do, a Levite, in the event that someone's going to offer up a burnt offering. He said, if his offering be a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own, what's the next two words? Voluntary will at the door of the tabernacle, the congregation before the Lord. He shall put his hand upon the head of the burnt offering and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. And he shall kill the bullock before the Lord and the priest and Aaron's sons shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood round about upon the altar that is by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And he shall flay the burnt offering and cut it into his pieces. And the sons of Aaron, the priest, shall put fire upon the altar and lay the wood in order upon the fire. And the priest, Aaron's son, shall lay the parts, the head and the fat, in order upon the wood that is on the fire which is upon the altar. But his inwards and his legs shall he wash in water. And the priest shall burn all on the altar to be a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. And if his offering be of the flocks, namely of the sheep or of the goats for a burnt sacrifice, he shall bring it a male without blemish. And he shall kill it on the side of the altar northward before the Lord and the priest. Aaron's sons shall sprinkle the blood round about upon the altar. And he shall cut it into his pieces with his head and his fat. And the priest shall lay them in order on the wood that is on the fire which is upon the altar. But he shall wash the inwards and the legs with water. And the priest shall bring it all and burn it upon the altar. It is a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. And if the burnt sacrifice for his offering of the Lord be of fowls, then he shall bring his offering of turtle doves or of young pigeons. And the priest shall bring it unto the altar and wring off his head and burn it on the altar. And the blood thereof shall be wrung out at the side of the altar. And he shall pluck away this crop with his feathers and cast it beside the altar on the east part by the place of the ashes. 
and he shall cleave it with the wings thereof, but not divide it asunder. And the priest shall burn it upon the altar, upon the wood, it is upon the fire, that is upon the fire. It is a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. Now I want you to notice something about the nature of all of these offerings. They're all a burnt sacrifice. And this burnt sacrifice is being offered to the Lord to bring a wayward man, a wayward woman, a wayward child back into a place of reconciliation with the Lord. So the first thing they do is they have to, we have to notice that phrase I ask you to, to repeat in verse three of his own voluntary will. You read it again in the passage that it needs to be a voluntary sacrifice. Well, what's that a picture of? Well, the sacrifice could not be forced. It had to be a voluntary sacrifice. It had to be given of the free will because it's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you realize he didn't have to go to Calvary? He chose to go to Calvary. He didn't have to offer his blood. He chose to offer his blood. In the garden when he prayed and his sweat was as though it were great drops of blood, he prayed, Father, it please, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. So he said, I want my will to be your will. I'm glad Jesus voluntarily said, I'll step over the embattlements of heaven, come down into this world, walk the dusty trails of life, live a sinless life, die a horrible death so that we could have life everlasting. He could have called 10,000 angels to come and relieve him, but hallelujah, I'm glad he didn't do it. But instead, he said, Father, I'll go, I'll bleed, I'll die and in like manner now you have to come and voluntarily accept the Lord and surrender your will to God if you're waiting on God to make you get saved then you're gonna be waiting a long time. He's not in the business of having people follow him because he forces them to be saved. He wants you to voluntarily come and say, Lord, I want your will for my life. I choose to follow you. If you're here tonight because you feel like someone made you come, then you have come in the eyes of God for the wrong reason. Everything we do, we should do because we want to do it. I didn't have to come to church tonight. I want to come to church tonight. I don't have to preach tonight. I want to preach tonight. And by the way, it's always bothered me when preachers never want to preach. I think we ought to want to tell others. It bothers me when Christians don't want to tell others about the Lord. We ought to want to do something for the Lord. We may not be able to do all that we desire, but that desire ought to be in us. Voluntarily, they offered. But notice something else. If you notice closely in what I read to you, in verse five, the offering was a bullock. By the time you get down to verse 10, the offering is sheep or a goat. By the time you get down to verse, verse 14, the offering is turtle doves or young pigeons. Now wait a minute, we're talking about a burnt sacrifice, a burnt 
offering to the Lord. Now, I think you'd agree with this. There's a big difference between a bullock and a turtle dove. And there's a difference between a sheep and a goat. So he names sheep, goats, bullock, and turtle doves or young pigeons. Now, if you just glance at that, that's a, that's a big variation. It varied. The offering varied. The offering in the Old Testament wasn't the same for everybody. See, the ones that had bullocks, they were the wealthy people. They, they had prospered in life. The ones that had sheep and goats, they were the middle class people. The ones with turtle doves and young pigeons, they were poor people. Now, when you read that, you might say, well, look, God made all of those different ways. It varied. The offering was not only voluntary, but it varied. And you may say, is God trying to say that there's more than one way to find forgiveness of sin? No. What God's saying in the Old Testament, Jesus, he, he did away with all of those and became the offering. But then people couldn't afford a bullock and maybe they couldn't afford sheep or maybe they couldn't afford a goat. All they had was turtle doves. Do you know, by the way, when Jesus' parents came to offer up their offering after he was born and to present him before the Lord, when they came to the temple, guess what they brought? Turtle doves, pigeons. That tells me his parents were poor people. Well, why did he vary it in the Old Testament? I'll tell you exactly why. Everybody had an offering. He never left anybody out. He made a way for the rich to be saved and for our forgiven brother. He made a way for the poor to be forgiven. He made a way for the middle class to be forgiven. Everybody was included. And by the way, when we come to Jesus Christ, the eternal sacrifice, he was the bullock, the goat, the sheep, the turtle dove, all in one. It doesn't matter how rich you are, you can be saved. It doesn't matter how poor you are, you can be saved. It doesn't matter if you're middle class, you can be saved. What he's saying is the sacrifice is for whosoever will. Let him come. He didn't leave anybody out. It's not his will that that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He didn't leave anybody out. So it varied. And that means that nobody had an excuse not to have an offering. There's no excuse for you to be lost. There's no excuse for you not to serve the Lord. Everybody can serve the Lord. Everybody can be saved. Everybody can know the peace of God. No excuse. Everybody's included. It's not limited. Now, I know there's some that preach and teach limited atonement, and I love them. I don't respect them much. It's poor theology. It goes around, this is about the third hitch in my ministry, and these, I'll soon be coming on 
couple more years, 50 years of preaching, but I've seen it go around about three times now. And it's like a dog chasing its own tail. You never get to the end of it because you know they go through this thing that if God knows all things, then he knows who's gonna be saved and who's gonna be lost. I had a preacher right here in our area met with me one time that uh, he, he used to visit our services and, and he wanted to teach me some things. And I'm not saying that as a smart aleck. He thought he was gonna teach me some things. So you gotta be real careful. You can grow up too quick. You'll grab everything coming down the pike. And, and the whole thing was is that he, he thought I was a good man, but he said you, you're just, well, politely told me I'm ignorant. And uh, the more that he talked, the more ignorant he became. And he kept talking about, but finally when he got done, uh, I, he got so worked up while I was talking to him. That's why I don't meet with people on that subject anymore. If you don't believe, if you don't believe what I'm preaching, go to church that preaches the other. But I, I don't believe in limited atonement. I believe anybody can be saved. And I believe everybody can be saved. There's only one unpardonable sin. And he got so distraught as he kept talking, he said, well, he said, I don't even pray for my loved ones anymore to be saved. I said, why? He said, cause it's already decided. Can you imagine saying something like that? And, and they're, they're so wrapped up in it. And I'm not bashing on people, don't take it that way. They're so wrapped up in it. But I wonder, if you're not careful though, you can fall into that same thing. Somebody can live a sinful life and you can pick and choose who you're willing to forgive and who you're not going to forgive. But the truth of the matter is, if God forgives you, I have to forgive you. <laughs> well, moving right along, that didn't go over very well. I go over this every now and then because I just, I think if God lets me be at certain places for certain times, I think it's because he, he wants me to share it with others. I had a young couple that uh, they didn't know the Lord. They, they had a young child and the child got sick very quickly. The child died, they called me. It was way out of town. I went out of town to do the funeral. And when I got there to the service that day, they met me in the back and said, we've got a relative that has decided uh, they want a part in the, in the funeral. And said, we told them, uh, said preacher, their, their, their doctrine is a little different said, so we told him, you can read the obituary or you can pray. But that's it. And uh, when the individual got up, he, he didn't read the obituary and he didn't pray. He didn't do either one they asked him to. Now, I don't know. I, I think, you know, you can be rude to people. I had a funeral one time. They said, we don't care for preaching. And if you don't mind, keep it 10 minutes. So I gave him 10 minutes. It's not being carnal. I respect what they wanted. That's what they, they're not asking me to do anything sinful. I mean, if you start getting up and walking out tonight, I promise you, I'll stop. And it, they're, just a, they're just a thing that you know you don't want to be rude. So this guy gets up and he starts in and he says, you know, now this little baby's lying there in a casket. He said, you know, I wish I could tell you that your child is in heaven 
said, but your child is in hell. Looked at the parents and said, I want to tell you why. You're both, you're both not part of the elect. And you're of the seed of Satan, so therefore the child is of the seed of Satan. And that child died lost because you're sinful. And he kept going on and on. And now, now folks, I know some of you have been here very long. I'm a loving guy, I'm a peaceful guy, but I tell you, you get out of line, I'll snap you back in line in a skinny minute. I don't care to spit in the devil's eye. And uh, someone come in here, try to take the service over, just warn you ahead of time, I will set you down. Getting quiet now, isn't it? So he kept going and it kept getting worse, so I just stood up beside of him, kept getting a little closer, a little closer, and he kept looking over his shoulder, and he said, "Uh, I guess I'm done now. I said, no, you never started. So when I got in the pulpit, the parents were weeping out loud. They settled down for a minute, and I said, would you all look at me and listen to me for just a moment? I said, everyone in here, listen to me. Everything he just said was a lie. There's no scripture for it. There's no backing for it. And I said, I'm here to bring you some good news. Your baby is with the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, preacher, where do you get that from? From the word. The Bible says where there is no law, sin is not imputed in the book of Romans. You know what impute means? To charge to one's account. Now, I know that the phrase, the age of accountability is not in scripture, but there is an age, it varies. I can't give you one age. I can't say if it's five years old or or 10 years old, but there'll come a point where you realize you're a sinner and you've done wrong and the Holy Spirit will touch your heart and you need to ask God to forgive you of your sin. You need to do that right away, but Where there is no law, sin is not imputed. To impute means to charge to one's account. And I said, let me tell you, that that baby didn't have anything charged to that baby's account. That baby is safe with the Lord Jesus Christ. That baby didn't go to hell because somebody's unsaved. And by the way, you might have had terrible parents, but that doesn't mean that you can't be saved and you can't serve the Lord. This is not something that's inherited. This is a personal experience where you come to Jesus and you ask him to forgive you of your sin. There is a way that you can be saved. Moving right along. It had to be voluntary. It varied, but then it had to be verified. Look in verse six, he shall flay the burnt offering. The priests had the surgeon, the surgeon's skill, if you will. They would dissect the sacrifice that was being offered. We find out they would take the head, verse eight, the fat, the inwards, and the legs. With precision, each would be cut. Now why would God want the priest, since it's all going to be burnt up, 
I think this is a logical question. Why would God want the priest, since it's all going to be burnt up, to separate everything like that? You know why? To inspect the sacrifice. See, the sacrifice could look perfect on the outside, but be corrupt on the inside. So what he's saying is, I want a perfect sacrifice. Do you know that's why you and I couldn't save anybody of their sins? We could give our blood, but our blood would never save anyone. But they took the Lamb of God and they inspected his life for three and a half years of ministry. They watched him, they scrutinized him, they questioned him, they wondered about him, they tried to defeat him, they tried to overcome him, they tore him apart every way they could, but in the end, the very ones responsible for his death would say, I find no fault in him. They looked at him on the inside and he was perfect and pure. They looked at him on the outside, he was perfect and pure. He said he takes a sinless a sacrifice, one of perfection. So they were inspected as well. It also tells us when it breaks all of the parts down, you talk about the head, you're talking about the mind. When you're talking about the fat, in the Old Testament, it's to deal with the emotions. When you talk about the legs, it's to deal with the spiritual, social walk. The inward part is the spiritual part. So what he's saying is, you can look at his mind and you can look at how he interacts socially and you can look at how he interacts spiritually. And when God said it's all inspected, it was perfect. And that's exactly what Jesus was. You can examine him and he has been examined now for over 2,000 years since he died. They've tried to prove he wasn't here, but he was. They tried to prove he didn't die, but he did. They tried to prove he didn't raise from the dead, but hallelujah, he did. Examine him and you'll find out he meets the test. He's verified. Then the other thing, it had to be valuable. The bullock and then again in verse 10, the sheep, the goat had to be a male without blemish. A male without blemish. It had to be perfect had to be the most valuable that they had to offer. By the time you get to the end of the New Testament, the curse that came that brought 400 years of darkness was the fact that when they were meeting and they were coming to the house of God to offer their sacrifices, they were bringing sacrifices to sell. And the sacrifices were maimed. The sacrifices weren't pure and they weren't valuable. They were trying to find a cheap sacrifice. They were trying to spend the least amount of money they could to get something to offer to God. Listen, folks, God doesn't want people that's just willing to give him the least. He wants people that's willing to give him all. How valuable, how valuable is the Lord to us? That's the question. Nobody is of greater value than the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Nobody can do what he can do. Nobody can say what he can say. Nobody can go where he can go. Nobody can be what he can be. I'm telling you, Jesus is the friend that sticks closer than any brother. Jesus is the one that will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus is the one that'll be with you regardless of where you're at and what you're going through. It's Christ. And you ought to say out of all the things that I possess, there's nothing more valuable than the precious Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is all and all to me. And if you have Jesus, you have everything. The value of it all. How valuable is he? to us. So this isn't just a book of laws, of do's and of don'ts. This book of Leviticus is telling us it's all about Jesus. There's no reason why you should leave tonight without Jesus. There's no reason you should leave tonight feeling as though he'll never accept me. He came to accept you. And that's why all those that come unto him, he'll in no wise turn them out. He's not gonna turn you aside. He's gonna welcome you. You say, well, preacher, I don't have much to offer him. It's not your offering that's gonna save you. It's his offering. The value is in him. We're only valuable because he's in us. We're nothing without him. But because of him, we can say like the apostle Paul, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. He loves you so much that he chose to die. If he chose to die for us, we ought to choose to live for him.